0: Welcome to the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd, and I'm a former doctor turned lifestyle entrepreneur. Each week, I interview some of the best minds on the planet on the science of achievement and the art of fulfillment. Come take this journey with me. Excuses are over. It's time to live.
1: How you're gonna get there is by like taking a lot of swings and being committed and just doing it. And then you realize like as you're doing it, you're like, Wow, I need to like stop trading hours for dollars. How do I grow from there and, and go into that? But it's you, you don't just like step right into it. Give it three years of not stopping. Don't quit after a year or six months and, and call that commitment. Like it took us three years of really not seeing any meaningful results before we were able to kind of like turn the corner if you will culture is how decisions get made. What are our values? The leader of the organization who exhibits those and gets out of the way, man, watch out. That organization is going places. places, places.
0: All right. Before we jump into this episode, I want to invite you to be considered for my work hard, play hard mastermind by completing an application at workhardplayhardmastermind.com. So this mastermind is not like any mastermind you may have been to or heard of and really, really want to level up your tribe in one shot, fill out an application at workhardplayhardmastermind.com. We'll jump on a call and we'll see if it's a good fit. All right, let's jump into today's episode. What's up, everybody? This is Rob Murgatroyd and welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard show. This episode features Evan Tardy. You can find him on Instagram and elsewhere at Evan Tardy. So, I wanted to have Evan on the show because I know that there are a ton of people listening that want to learn how to scale their business, how to make a bunch of money, how to enjoy their life. And Evan really has done all of those things remarkably well. He is the brains behind the marketing of DrAxe.com. And he's turned that brand from an idea that they had at their kitchen table. He was in Dr. Axe's house and they were sitting at the kitchen table and coming up with brainstorming some ideas on how to grow his brand. And that brand has now scaled to $50 million. So we talk about a bunch of stuff. We talk about the psychology that it took to get there. We talk about some specific tactical applications on how to use Facebook ads. And we also talked about how having this new influx of money has affected his current life. So be sure to take a screenshot of this episode, share it on the socials, and remember to tag me and at Evan Tardy and let us know what you thought of the show. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation I had with Evan Tardy. Evan, welcome
1: to the show. Thanks. Glad to be here.
0: You know what? I am super excited to do this interview with you. So thank you so much for taking the time. We have a mutual friend in Chris Harder. He said, you got to interview Evan. And uh, if he tells me
1: to jump off a building, I jump off a building. So here we are. <laughs> Chris is great. Yeah, we, uh, we had a blast. I did his uh, podcast about a year and a half, two years ago. And and that guy is that guy's sharp
0: he is as sharp as a tack let me tell you and i and we've had uh you know a couple of uh a couple of glasses of tequila and he gets sharper so he's uh, <laughs> I, I don't i don't know what it is i always feel like an idiot every time i'm around him but uh he's just uh, he's a wonderful guy we spent the summer in greece uh this uh this past year and had a an awesome time so thank you for being here i think what we'll do is, um, we'll kind of break it down into three parts. So the first part we're going to talk about the science of achievement and sort of like how you've been instrumental in creating a company that's doing $50 million in revenue. I think that's important. And then we're going to move into the art of fulfillment and maybe some things that you do that's on the flip side of business and how you feel more fulfilled. And then we will wrap up with some rapid fire questions. Cool? That sounds great. I love all of that stuff. Awesome. So let's kind of start at the beginning. Can you tell us where you grew up and maybe describe a few things that your parents did with you, say, from ages 10 to
1: 15? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I grew up in West Texas, a town called Lubbock, uh, right in the panhandle of Texas. Uh, a lot of people don't know where that is. And so how I describe, like, to give them some, some, like... You know, geographical kind of markers. I'm like, have you ever heard of Dallas, Texas? You know, and they're like, yeah. I'm like, all right, (laughs)
0: you got to you got to start with. Have
1: you heard of America? (laughs) Have you heard of America? All right. (laughs) Have you heard of Texas? Okay, (laughs) Dallas. I'm like, yeah, we're like big hats, big hats. That is the nearest town, and that is a a six hour drive. So like, we're like way out there, and uh, yeah, and you know, my dad is someone that I just like credit so much of who I am and like my success and just everything from like like who he was and who he what he instilled in me. And you know, my dad is kind of like famous around our, our household for all these little like quips and phrases. And one, one that like I think was was super informative and instructive and like still is with me to this day is he would say, like anytime we we said the word can't, he would kind of like catch us and he'd be like, hey, can't means you don't want to or you don't know how. And it was just like this, it's like he kind of started teaching me early on to be really conscious of my language, even though I wasn't aware that that's what was happening.
0: What did you think that you were going to be when you were in high school?
1: I remember my freshman year of high school sitting next to one of my closest friends at the time and just sitting there thinking with like dreaming with him in the back of English class. And I'm like, bro, you and I are going to be millionaires by the time we're 30 we're going to own a real estate empire. (laughs) He's like, yeah. (laughs) You're like, you're damn right. We are. Damn right. And so, so, you know, when I was 16, I started my first business. It was a mobile car wash. And, uh, I think I shared this with Chris, but it, so, so I had this, this like old school, like, like beater Cadillac, you know, it was like 30 years old. And, uh, that was, that was the car I was driving. And you know, in West Texas, it's like it's not as common. I live in Nashville now; it's not as common out here. But there are a lot of mobile car washes out there. It's like so dry and and dirty. You know, it's just like there are dust storms all the time. And so, so like mobile car washes are, are a little more common. All the money I'd saved up it was about two thousand dollars. I like went to zero, like emptied out my bank account, and bought this trailer and the whole rig. And and then I'm like, all right, I didn't even I didn't even realize like. I'm just assuming I'll pull it somehow. I didn't even like solve that yet. I got this rig and it's like, okay, now how are we going to tow it? Okay, we got to solve that. I have this Cadillac. Well, let's. I went to U-Haul and they they attached a hitch to the Cadillac. And this is like a two door, two door like coupe de ville. You know, they attached a hitch to it, and the trailer was weighted for to be towed by a truck. Like you know, logically and so the weight of the 1000 gallon tank was tw- on the front of the axle on the trailer to put most of the the load on the truck so i have this caddy with a hitch on it with the you know front load of this trailer and it it like it like instantly made the back of my caddy like this low rider and so I like I pull into school and scrape over the speed bumps, you know, with this trailer. It's like the back of this <laughs> caddy is no like a low, low rider, and then the front of this trailer is like dipping down into the ground. And I'm just like, man, this is how I'm gonna like buy shoes and like you know do the stuff I want to do. So yeah, that's that was what I was doing when I was 16.
0: I just have this video like of some like rap video gone wrong with like, you know, <laughs> girls in bikinis dancing on the front of that thing, you know, while it's hopping up and down with the water in the back. If you had to pick one lesson from that experience, what would it be? Just like
1: freaking start and, and like go for it and just do it. Just start. Just yeah, start. Just do it.
0: Just start. Stop getting ready to get ready. Just go. Yes,
1: Absolutely. What I see, it, I see so often with people, it's like, yeah, but I read this book and this book said, you know, I shouldn't trade hours for dollars. And it's like, yeah, that's a great principle. Like, don't do that. But if I'm washing mobile, if I'm doing cars, like, that's hours for dollars. I'm like, yeah, that's a bad exchange. Like, but you're saying just do it or just start. Like, what if I start down the wrong path? And I'm like, there is no right path. The right path is like, you've got to go down the wrong path to get to the right path. So like you are not going to like invent the perfect path by analyzing it in your office or at home for the next 3 years and then oh the 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 path will be illuminated and you'll like you'll you'll never exchange hours for dollars and you'll be in this like high leverage business and like that's a myth. That's just not going to happen. How you're going to get there is by like actually taking a lot of swings and being committed and just doing it. And then you realize like, as you're doing it, you're like, wow, I need to like, stop trading hours for dollars. How do I grow from there and, and go into that? But it's, you, you don't just like step right into it. You know what I'm saying?
0: I, I know completely what you're saying. And it, th- this is such a good point because you can't outsource, you can't get super crafty with trading hours for dollars until you've taken a few swings yourself. You make sure that it's a good business, you understand what you're doing, et cetera. And I think people just jump into, you know, let me have somebody else do it so I can, you know, stay in my zone of genius. And all of that is important, but not always in the beginning stage, right? Right, exactly. All right. So if we move on just a little bit, I want to, I want you to kind of tell me how you found yourself talking to a dentist and helping him grow his practice. Yeah.
1: So, all right. Uh, I met a guy on an airplane and now it's a whole another long story, but he invites me to to this party and we go hang out and we're talking and his, his college roommate is there or his, his previous college roommate is there. And we get to talking and he's a dentist now. And he's like, yeah, he's moving from Alabama or wherever to Nashville where I'm at. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to, to like be buying this practice and, you know, doing all this stuff. And, and I just love talking about marketing. So I'm like, Hey, what's your like marketing plan? And he's like, "Ah, I don't, you know, I'm. That's one thing on my list I need to figure out. I'm like, well, I just there's this great book, super cost effective like marketing strategies called uh, Guerrilla Marketing. In fact, I've got a copy, and so I gave I like gave him a copy, and he's like, you know, super grateful. And so I didn't think anything of it. I'm like, yeah, these these are like it's super uh, practical, practical guide to just like implement. So he's like, cool. Uh, a few weeks go by and I just like check in with him. I'm like, hey, how's it? How's it going, man? And uh he's like, good, you know, I got the practice, I bought it, like things were really moving. I'm like, awesome. How's like it, what do you think of the book? And he's like, honestly, it hasn't left the front seat of my car since you gave it to me. <laughs> no. So I'm like, yeah. So I'm like, okay, well, why don't you let me just do all that stuff for you? And he's like, seriously? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And he says, uh, he's like He's like, I can't afford to pay you to do that. I'm just gonna do it myself. You know, like he's just super, super scrappy guy. And I was like, no, listen, no strings attached. Like I just want to let me do it. Like I'm learning all of this stuff anyway. I'm passionate about it. I have some free time. Let me do it for you. So he's like, Cool. You know, and then ultimately he's like, Let me I feel bad. Let me at least like, you know, do a do a teeth cleaning or something for you. But basically it was just like a straight up, I like just volunteered and was like, let me do all of this. And then as I started to like implement it for him, his practice went from they were doing about between 20 and 50 K a month in, in revenue. So it was a decent practice. And as I started implementing all of this, and it was really just very basic like SEO, digital marketing, paid ads on Google, and we're just implementing all this stuff. And over the next six months, his practice went. He, he started tracking all of the the new patient leads and everything that was coming in, and 80 percent of all of his new patients were coming from what I was doing for him. and it turned into what it did for me was it really gave me a little bit more swagger, where I was like, "Wow, like this stuff actually works. like I, get, I actually saw it in a meaningful way, like really transform his business in a short how amount old, of time. How old were you?" This is when I was early twenties. And how old yeah, are you now? I'm 32.
0: All right. So you got 12 years ago, and there's I, there's a lot that's built into this. You know, number one, from what hits me is that you were willing to serve. Right? You were willing to go out there and say, "Hey, look, I got a, uh, I got a natural curiosity for guerrilla marketing, and I want to share it, and I'm happy to help you." And then you grow his practice, and he's like, "Can I?" Can I clean your teeth? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I? So, I mean, this is this is amazing. Now, you also casually mentioned SEO, you know, just your basic SEO, digital marketing and paid ads. 85% of the people listening are like, what the hell's that? I don't even know what that means. Mm. So, you know, some of this stuff is very, very confusing for people. And I want to talk about that in a second. In 2013, you became the president of, of the company that you're uh, working with. Can you tell us what Drake.com is and how you came to be involved
1: with it? Okay. So in 2009, 2010, I'm looking to move to Nashville and I start reaching out to people. Like my brother lives here. So I'm like, hey, you know, introduce me to anyone you think, you know, I should talk to. I'll talk to him. And he's like, I actually just met this guy recently named Josh Axe, Dr. Axe. He has this little website thing he's trying to get off the ground. You know, I think you two would hit it off. So he introduces me. I talk to Josh and Josh is a chiropractor and really his... So he's running a successful Nash, chiropractic clinic here in Nashville at this time. And, but really his passion is nutrition and really helping people from a holistic perspective have a total health transfer, transformation. And so it's it's so much more than than just chiropractic or just supplements or just nutrition. It's like total lifestyle approach to helping people have a have a health breakthrough. It, but he's doing it all through his clinic at the time, and uh, so he and I talk and, and and get on this phone call, and Josh just basically like shares the vision of kind of what he's up to in the clinic, and then but what he wants to build online, and kind of shares the mission of, and he, there is this really crazy story with his mom and how she had cancer when he was a kid and went kind of the traditional route, chemo and, uh, and, and her hair, you know, I fell out and she was really just like, he just saw how painful that experience was when he was a kid. And then, you know, the doctors announced her like cancer free. And so they were great, you know, super excited. And then for the next 10, 15 years as he was growing up, she was like really sicker than ever. And, Then the cancer came back when he was in school and she calls him up and, you know, she's like sharing this news with him and he's learning about all of these natural approaches. And he's like, Mom, we're going to do it all natural this time. Flies home, implements all of these lifestyle nutritional strategies and totally does a 180 on her kind of like, like her life, like what she's up to, her lifestyle. Three months they check in with the doctors and they're like, We don't know what you're doing, but the tumors are shrinking. Keep it up. And another six months go by, same story. Tumors are shrinking, keep it up. And then a, within a year, the tumor, the cancer is in complete remission. And to this day, she's like in the best shape of her life. And so that's, that's like to this day, 2019. And this is, he's sharing the story in 2010 with me. And so I'm just like, I, I kind of get the picture of, of the vision that he painted in the mission. And, and, and he said, have you read The 4-Hour Work Week or this book called Crush It by Gary Vaynerchuk? And I, I hadn't read those. I'm like, no. He said, in those two books, they lay out kind of the model or the the plan, you know, of, of kind of how to do it online. That's kind of what I want to follow. And so, so I'm like, great, you know, great phone call. I go read those books. I call him back the next week, and I'm like, hey, I read both the books. I love what you're up to, and I believe in it. And if I have to stack chairs to be a part of the mission, like I'm in. And he's. <laughs> actually found this out recently that he was basically like, he was like, great, yeah, call me when you get to town. You know, kind of thing like, like actually not, he didn't really have a job opening available. He was just kind of like being nice. And so a month later, my wife and I pack up the U-Haul from Dallas and, and drive across the country to Nashville. And, and halfway over here, my wife is like, all right, so uh, this is happening really fast. You do have a job offer or you you done? I'm kind of confused here. <laughs>
0: And you're like, yeah, me too, me too, but I'm gonna make one.
1: I'm like, me too. You know, technically there is no job offer, but but I got a good feeling about this. Yeah, I'm just gonna like, we're gonna do it. And so yeah, show up and talk, call Josh. I'm like, I'm here. He's like, great, come over on Monday, let's talk shop. Show up on Monday with my laptop, and uh we we talked for about an hour or so. And he's still running the clinic full time, you know, at, at this time. And so, you know, he's gotta go go into the clinic and be the doctor. And so he's like, we talked for a little bit. And he's like, great. Well, why don't you get started? Here's the Wi-Fi password. Good luck. (laughs) And he leaves. And I'm like, literally, this is August 2010. I'm sitting in his kitchen at his kitchen table with my laptop in the empty house. And I'm like, okay. In, in less than two weeks from then, I was literally stacking chairs and I remember having the thought like, this will make a good story someday because that is exactly what happened. I said I would stack chairs and here I am stacking chairs.
0: That is so crazy. Okay, so a couple of things. Number one, uh, you probably don't know this, but I am a chiropractor as well. I graduated uh, 25 years ago and I had a practice. I just retired this year. Wow. So, yeah, so I am, uh, I am well aware of what that stage of his life uh, is like. The second thing that hit me is in 2013, he made you president of this little uh, company that uh, is not so little anymore and you were directly responsible for 50 million dollars a year in revenue to what do you attribute that success to
1: yeah i think i am wired to like i'm drawn to the 80 20 the pareto principle as i think a lot of entrepreneurs are right but like i think i'm wired to lever- to look for the highest degree of leverage and Like, I was just cleaning out my bookshelf last week of all the books I've collected over the last few years. And it it was almost like a visual of my career over the last 10 years with Dr. Axe, where it was like early on, the books were, you know, marketing tactics, SEO, uh, Google paid advertising, pay per click, stuff like that. I was going to say Facebook ads, but that wasn't, (laughs) this was before Facebook ads. And uh, but it's very tactical stuff. It's all the like execution, the guides, you know, very tactical and practical stuff. And then as we started growing, it was like, good, you know, we're we're getting the marketing thing down a little bit. And kind of what I was saying earlier, that took three years of us like not seeing any traction before we started to gain some of that traction. So I don't want that to be missed in my story, like if someone is getting started now and they commit to six months or they commit for a year and they're like, ah, it doesn't work. Like I I, I was committed. It's like, no, no, like three years, give it three years and like of not stopping. You know what I mean? Like don't quit after a year or six months and, and call that commitment. Like it took us three years of really not seeing any meaningful results before we were able to kind of like get that flywheel spinning or, or kind of turn the corner, if you will. And so going back to my long answer to your question, early on the the leverage that I saw was me being a better ta- tactician or uh, using and leveraging the tools that are available and then so, so we started to get a little bit of momentum and then I started to realize like wow we we're good at marketing, but like we're losing people or we can't like sustain this it's just kind of constant fires that are coming up and so then I realized like well what What do I need to do to, to change this? And so then it went from like how to be a good technician or tactician to like, okay, now I need to like hire some people. (laughs) So then it became more about like people, you know, and like very specific though, like, like there's a great book called Who on hiring and a handful of others like scaling up and implementing processes that help with like, you know, the, the process side of the organization.
0: Just for context, as you're explaining the story, we haven't really talked about what the products actually are. What are, you, what are you guys actually selling?
1: The two main things that we sell are information products and programs, so digital courses, to take people through like a transformation experience. So we have a course on uh, healing the leaky gut. Uh, we have courses on detox, on essential oils. So we kind of have different price points in different topics, but that's one side of the business and the other side is supplements our own branded okay, supplements. It.
0: Yeah. Okay, keep going. Got it.
1: Yeah. And so like going up the bookshelf, it's... And as we're growing, it it it's tactical and we got to cover all facets of business. And then it's like, oh man, if we could create a culture where they're, the environment is connected and they're all learning and there's process and there's not like... We're not solving the same problem again and again and again. And in fact, I'm not the one solving the problem. So how can I empower... Create a culture and empower the team to self serve, to collaborate. Then it's like the room is going to be, the people in the room are going to be exponentially smarter than just me being a better technician. That's, I think, what I've, over the course of my journey. And so it's like my bookshelf, it's like technician to like, you know, tactical marketing to tactical business processes to leadership to like, you know, how to like really lead and then like self discovery. (laughs) And then, and then it comes kind of like full circle to like, who am I being as an individual within the walls of the organization that creates that culture? That is probably the full life cycle of, of what I've learned, you know, over the last 10 years.
0: I got to tell you, this guy, this, uh, this Dr. Axe has got to be, you know, getting on his knees every morning for having met Evan Tardy. I mean, like, there's no way that a chiropractic practice would be doing $50 million in revenue. Is he still practicing?
1: No, he's not, he sold that. So to kind of like bring it fully current, uh, we got to to 50 million and then just shy of 100 million. And then we actually sold a portion of the, the supplement side of the company and partnered with a, a private equity group called VMG. And they bought, a, they bought a minority stake for just a little bit over 100 million. That's where we are to current day 2019.
0: So when they buy 100 million dollars they, they they funded you 100 million or they bought 100 million dollars how does that work?
1: No, it was a it was not a venture deal, it was private equity, so they yeah, they bought a percentage of the company at that valuation and their percentage was was 103 million.
0: Amazing. And so then you get that funding to grow the
1: business even more. Exactly, we get the funding, and and really with private equity, what I've found is, it's the funding is certainly certainly super important because especially in a product based business, cash or uh, uh, growth sucks cash. But then we, the, so the funding is huge to continue to grow. But then it's also the the playbook and the resources and the connections that the private equity company is also bring to the table in in their leadership and experience. So that is. That is a huge, huge, huge asset that that they brought to us. So,
0: what does that feel like when you guys get that cash in your account? I mean, like you're on, you're in the kitchen, you're stacking tables, you're stacking chairs, whatever. And now here you are, and you're throwing, you know, numbers around with private equity
1: for a hundred million. Like, like what did that feel like when that cash hit your account? It felt somewhat anticlimactic, really. Like. it was super exciting. It was kind of like we crossed a finish line of sorts, but really it was like, great. Well, what's next? You know? And I think part of that kind of what a, like the self-discovery piece of it was there, there were a lot of ups and downs all along the way, but it was like the cash at the count and it was great. And it was, it was exciting and all of that. And it was like, great. Now we can go hit, like have, have, even bigger goals and like go hit those. But I think the biggest like value out of all of it that I've gotten is is realizing like for so long early on I I was just all about the goals, all about the numbers like and, and as a like visionary operator kind of entrepreneur like how I would set goals is created so much stress. It's like, oh, we hit that goal. All right, here's how we set our new goal. Let's do it twice as fast and twice as big. Oh, we hit that one. All right, let's do the next one twice as fast and twice as big. And it's just kind of like, it was fun for a while, but then it became like this, this like all about the goals and number. And this is something I created for myself. <laughs> and, and it's like, what I realized early on was that I got so, I got lost on like crushing the next goal that I lost sense of like, enjoying the journey. And so you know, there's a sense of relief in some ways, where it's like, all right, we crossed the finish line, and now we have like really, really talented, experienced people on our team to kind of help take it to the next level. So that was a relief, but but it, it was also like during a journey or during a time in the journey for myself, where I was starting to realize, like, man, like I want to create, I want to create for myself. A way of being with my family, with my relationships, like inside the company, that that is is uh, (laughs) an enjoying the journey, and it's and I know it's like so cliche or it's something we hear all the time, but that was the biggest thing for me personally that I just I, I missed on the early days is we were just like hustling like crazy. And, and it was like at the same window of time where the cash at the bank and I'm having kind of this like new perspective on life that it, it hit me at a time where I was like detached from it. You know what I'm saying? So it was...
0: I do. I I do. I I don't, I don't know exactly what it feels like because I've never had that much cash hit my account. Um, but I can have an idea of what it might feel like based on how you described it. Are you guys, are, are you guys, um, and whatever you're willing to share on this, are you guys like partners in this or how does this work?
1: Yeah. So technically I was an employee, employee number one, and then a shareholder of the company.
0: Okay. Got it. So he is the face of the brand and you're sort of like behind the scenes.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I actually just came from a breakfast with a couple other entrepreneurs and we we're just talking about this this topic because there's a great great book out there called The Synergist and I highly recommend it. But you know, I would share my story with people and you know, they come up afterwards and either on stage or whatever, and they'd be like, That's really great, you know, congratulations, like a job or whatever. But how do I find my number two person like you were for Josh? and i've never really had a satisfactory answer cuz i'm like i don't i don't know like i'm kind of an entrepreneur like josh is a super visionary i'm kind of like you know a doer and like i can take his vision and kind of go execute it so we made a good good pair but i don't know what else to tell you until i read this book called rocket fuel and rocket fuel is now like my go-to answer for so many vi- visionaries and entrepreneurs who Especially like at the 1 million to 3 million in revenue point. And, and it might go up a little bit higher than that. But typically, what I've found with, with visionary entrepreneurs is like they're able to just like through sheer will and hustle, get the business to a million or maybe even 3 million by them handling or, or not handling all of the admin, the detail work, the project management, the follow through, all that stuff that typically drains a visionary. Like they're able to just like muscle up and do it. But at a certain point, like the volume of customers or the volume of service or whatever it is, or the volume of team members, like the wheels start falling off. And and usually that's when I'm talking to that entrepreneur, they're like kind of about to hit burnout. And I share kind of this this, what I learned from the book Rocket Fuel. And it's like the visionary needs an integrator. That's what this book calls it. And the integrator is... Like it, like it's what I was for Josh. Josh is the visionary and visionaries how they how they like produce work, it's like by talking and thinking. And so we'd fill up the whiteboard with all these brilliant ideas. And then the integrator is like, all right, great, let's choose one idea and let's take that one all the way through the finish line. And so that match and that pairing I think is really, really important. And in the book Rocket Fuel, he talks about Walt Disney as this this you know genius creative but Walt Disney essentially couldn't organize a children's birthday party you know if his life depended on it and a, what a lot of people don't know is that his brother Roy Disney was the operational brain behind the whole thing that made it work but but Roy's not really you know well known he's just like run ran the company and same thing with Henry Ford and same thing you know Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak in the early days and so so it's like this this pairing that you don't usually hear about because that's kind of the design of it. Like the visionary is out there, they are the face of the brand or they are the salesperson. And the the integrator is is what allows the visionary to be fully detached from like the day-to-day management and the details and the accountability and, and all that stuff. Like if the integrator can run all of that, the visionary is free to do like. What their genius is, which is be visionary.
0: Really super interesting. You've never wanted to have your face on the cover, huh?
1: (laughs) Part of me does. Part of me does. But you know, like, I think I'm just wired by like efficiency, getting results. And so I'm like, hey, if it's more effective for my face to be on the cover, great, I'll do that. But like, if we've got this this talent inside the company who's genius at it, like, great, I'm going to get out of the way. And I think to go like this is probably a shorter answer to your question from earlier. What's one of the things I learned from zero to a hundred million in revenue? It's honestly like there's this the law of the lid that John Maxwell talks about that the organization like as the leader of the organization, it cannot surpass like your leadership abilities. And what I found is like by me being a great marketer, by me being the best knower of HR and finance and operations and marketing and etc and how it all comes together like I am the lid but if I can if I can identify great people recruit them paint the vision and get out of their way and make sure they're empowered and equipped to do what they need to do like the lid is so much exponentially higher than than who I am or where I am Right? And, and then I, I place a huge emphasis on culture because that, that is that empowering and, and you know, aligning people to the vision. And that's where the culture comes in where it's like, how are decisions made? And some people will like, hear about Google or Facebook culture and they serve food and they have beanbags and all this like, or massages you know, that they bring in and all this like, creative, interesting stuff. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's not for me. Culture's culture's the soft stuff. We need to make sales. And what gets missed in that is that culture. That's that might be a reflection of culture, but that is not culture. Like beanbags are not culture. Culture is how decisions are get made, or how decisions get made, and what types of behaviors do we operate with inside the company? What do we prioritize? What are our values? And the leader of the organization who exhibits those and gets out of the way, like, man, watch out. That organization is going places.
0: It's amazing. You know, you really are an integrator. But I gotta tell you, at some point I'd be like, you know, I I, I came to you, I knocked on your door, I came in your kitchen, I built this thing a hundred million dollars. Your face is all over the place. Where's where's my where's my face? Why, why am I not on here? But that never hits you, huh? No. No, no, not at all. Like I it's amazing. It's amazing. So you know what you're teaching me? You're teaching me that everybody has a ton ta- everybody needs a tonto.
1: Yeah. Right? Yeah. Is that what it was called? Tonto? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and like that's the same thing for Josh. Like, he loves like being on camera and he's great at teaching, and he he's great at like, and and there's some people like, especially earlier on, like that would cause me a ton of anxiety where I'm like, oh I'm getting off ah, camera. I don't want to do that. Got it. Right? So and, but I'm so like you guys made one person together. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what the Rocket Fuel book talks about, where it's like it man, it Rocket Fuel and then a book called Traction written by the same author. It's I, I totally recommend those two books to, to I read like Traction much Any Entrepreneur.
0: Yeah. Traction is really, really good. But I got to tell you, don't buy Traction unless you really want to do the work because that's a hands on book. Like you can't go to chapter two without, you know, spending a month on chapter one implementing the exercises. So I love that. Well, I mean, I could talk to you for hours, but I want to get to the second half of the show. Uh, I have so many questions for you, but we'll have, <laughs> maybe we'll have to do a part two. Um, I want to move into uh, the fulfillment part of your life. So, You know, this portion of the show is more about things that you're doing outside of your business, which I think you're kind of like really looking into at this stage of your life even more. So, you know, when you look at periods in your life where you uh, felt like you're in the zone, however you would define that, what are some of the daily or weekly practices that you know, you've spotted in terms of maybe pattern recognition when you look back at these sweet spots, when you've just really been performing well and feeling good. Are there any particular daily, weekly, morning habits or whatever comes to mind that you see as consistent that you've used that's really, really helped you in the area of fulfillment?
1: There's a handful of things. One very practical thing that's been useful for me is journaling and there's a whole journey i've had with journaling it's been like a really rocky relationship journaling and i and so as i started to do a little bit of digging i'm like all right listen i want to journal let me get real with myself what is keeping me from journaling and i just like kind of made a list of all the stuff that that's like creating interference i'm like i want to i want to conserve pages that's dumb i want to have a leather bound book that my grandkids are going to read like that's producing interference And it's like, it it needs to be perfect or it needs to be epic. And that's producing interference. So I'm like, why don't... So it's like I'm operating by some weird rules that I didn't even create for myself, but I'm just operating by them. So I'm like, why don't I go to the other end of the extreme and just invent some totally new rules to go by? And so those new rules were, one, I bought five like cheap journals, five, 10 bucks from Amazon, and I put them all on my desk. And I'm like, I'm going to fill up all five of these and throw them away. And so it was like those rules. And then the other thing was I would, I would journal for a day or two and then I'd feel guilt about it. And so like some rule that said I had to journal every day or feel guilty. And so I was like, well, let me make up a new rule. So my new rule was I can journal one day or I I can skip an, I can skip one day or I can skip an entire year. And all I have to do is write one word that counts. And so like, if I write one word of journaling for an entire year, like, good. I don't have to feel guilty. If I don't write one word of journaling for a whole year, then I give myself permission to feel guilty. And it's like, these rules are so bizarre that it, it just kind of like shook my cage, you know, like rattled my cage a little bit and shook me out of it. And so then it was like, great. Now I have an environment where I can actually be genuine with myself and write like what's going on. And so I started doing that. And it was like, when I came up with these rules, Like I journal consistently for almost a year and this is great. And I have no like resistance with it now. It's like, if I do it, I do it. If I don't like great. And when I do sit down and journal, there's not any sort of like, there's nothing like chasing me or there's none of this, like my grandkids are going to read it. It's just, I just like empty what's in my head down on paper. And I found that like, after the first page of just, you know, free thought, just emptying my brain. So many great things have come out of it for myself. I'm like, what type of man do I want to be for my my family? Like what what who am I as a husband? Like what's my 25 year vision? What are my values? What are my principles? And all of this stuff, it just like came to me and, and I clarified it and refined it over time. But it's like like previously I would sit down and I'm like, what are my values? I'm going to do the work, you do the exercise. And it's like I would have all this this hidden resistance.
0: I love it. You know, I wonder if you having to, having gone to journalism, taking journalism classes, I wonder if you established some, you know, preconceived rules, et cetera, that sort of boxed you in to writing, uh, more prolifically so that, you know, the, the legacy, you know, so that your journaling shows up in the Smithsonian, you know, 20 years from now. So it, you know, it's sort of precluded, you know, there's a, um, You'd love this. There's something called the artist's way. Have you heard of this? Do you know what it is? No. Mm -mm. You're going to dig it. So you basically do exactly what you said. It's called journaling for the garbage can. Martin Scorsese's wife uh, taught a course for um, writers to help them get over writer's block. And I'll save you a 300-page book. Here's basically all you have to do. You have to write three full pages every single morning when you wake up. It's called the morning pages, spelled M-O-U-R-N, morning pages, so that you get out all of the crazy stuff that's in your head, the stuff that's in your cache, the stuff that's in your RAM, that you dump out, like you said, the first page, Um, is crazy. It's like, I'm fat, I'm skinny, I'm rich, I'm poor. Why do I do this? I don't know why this is happening. Like like All the crazy stuff that's in your head, that gets out. And then the second page you start having some revelations. And by the third page, when you're struggling to continue to write, you start getting revelations that come out um, that you you would never otherwise get. And I do it probably five out of, uh, maybe four out of seven mornings a week. I have a four-year-old, so it's not so easy. Um, and then at the end of the month, um, I throw it into the garbage can and throw it away. Otherwise, it would look like Jeffrey Dahmer um, wrote it. It's crazy. All right. So different, uh, different area of your life. If you could spend 1 month anywhere in the world, where would it be and why?
1: Uh the honestly the first thought that occurs to me is there's a lot behind this but like I'm a 3 on the enneagram it's the achiever personality type and it's like you know this this like go 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 we we dig our way out of every single hole like you know the way to like slow down is by like doubling the speed like, it's just this like insane like go and so part of it for me has been this journey in the last 2 or 3 years of kind of self-discovery in a lot of ways. Honestly, I if you would have asked me that 3 years ago, I would have said Italy, Pacific Northwest, overlooking an epic ocean view, you know, at the sunset with this like whatever. Like honestly, part of like the the fulfillment piece, I would be exactly where I am. Not necessarily like here, like but where I am like right now, like being where i am like there's nowhere else to be there's just like being here and and living in what is and that has been so hard for me to like one i didn't even know that existed it's like no 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 life is 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 always like uh out there life is when i hit that goal life is a year away life is 5 years away or when do i have when i have that house or when i have that thing or maybe if i just get better or or more discipline with fitness or it's like life is always is there and what i've realized and it's this has produced like so much fulfillment is just like living in the world of what is and that to me has like changed so much of my life
0: that's interesting so you're not longing for a glass of chianti overlooking the amalfi coast for you it's like wherever you are if it's nashville it's nashville if it's if it's italy it's italy but you want to be present looking down at your feet and knowing where you are and being in the moment yeah exactly exactly cool if you could go only go to one restaurant before you die where would your last meal be
1: Man, you know, I am a big fan. There's this place in no- near Knoxville called Blackberry Farms and they have this whole like food to t- uh, or uh, farm, to farm to table thing. Yeah. Oh, I, I would go there. They have all kinds of restaurants over there. But yeah, I'd, I'd go hang out at Blackberry right. for a week and just let them, let them dish it up.
0: What's the one thing that's rocking your world now that
1: has absolutely nothing to do with your work? Great question rock in my world that has nothing to do with work
0: this question is
1: the hardest question for entrepreneurs to answer by the way i I can imagine that i'm like i'm I'm and it it is the
0: reason why i do this podcast Mm. because entrepreneurs are really really good at the first half of the show and they're really really they struggle with
1: this half yes to me kind of this might be cheating because it's a double it's an answer i already gave but it's the what is answer it's like i've struggled like for so long to achieve the next goal and like i said how i would set goals is by making them faster and double and then it's like creates all this anxiety for me cuz i'm then then i would immediately start looking around at like why i'm a failure like I, well i didn't oh yeah maybe i hit that last goal but i have i now have this big goal and someone else is, has already hit theirs and you know all this like crazy story running in my head And, and just like this idea of just being where I'm at and, and like when I'm with my wife, like we're sitting and having a conversation, there's a couple levels for me that I've been at. One is like, yeah, I'm here and I'm really interested. I'm trying to ask questions, but I'm still like kind of with the last task or I'm still kind of thinking about where are we going for dinner, you know? And I'm like, but I'm like there and I'm like, you know, trying to like you know, be in the conversation, but I'm still kind of like just running on autopilot. Like what's, you know, where are we going for dinner? When is this, when are we doing the next thing? And, and then like another level, like earlier on was just kind of like, I'm all in the past or all in the future about goals or like what five problems, you know, have happened in the business in the last week or whatever where I'm just like, I'm just like totally like asleep and we're having a conversation. And like what I've experienced in the last year is, is without changing anyone around me, but by me being present, by me being in the moment, like the, the richness of my relationships, the richness of like just my daily experience of life, just by being in the world of what is and not like what was or what the future is just like what is Has I don't know why it's clicked for me like it has, but it's it's changed everything. So now I'm like, like what's rocking my world is like like crawling around on the floor with my two-year-old, you know, and like like coming up with new creative ways to like make her laugh or to like, you know, like come up with a silly craft or something that in in two years ago, a year ago, I would come home and I'm like. Living in, in what what was or the future, or just like running on autopilot and just like, you know, so many wheels spinning, and I try to have a conversation with my wife and then I like try to muster up some energy to like play with my daughter before she goes to bed. And I'm like, but my brain was just like fried at the end of the day.
0: I absolutely love that. I want you to listen to something. Do you listen to Tony Robbins' podcast? Yeah, I do. Okay. If you have not heard uh, his podcast this week, and I don't know when this show is coming out, um, it's called the unflagging faith of Nick Foles, and he interviewed an NFL uh, star quarterback. And the quarterback, it's kind of a it's it's from his one one of his live um, events. So the the audio quality isn't great, but it is exactly. What you're talking about to the point where he was in the Super Bowl and could not focus on throwing because he was thinking about things in the past mm. and things in the future. He quit football and said, I cannot live my life like this anymore. I hate it. And he found a way to literally be right here in the moment and accepting what is. And that the entire hour is on exactly what you just described. You're going to freaking love it. You got to check it out.
1: I cannot wait. It's it's on my list. I'm ready for it.
0: Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna absolutely love it. Okay, a couple more questions. Yeah. What is the one thing that you've always wanted to learn, but you just haven't gotten around to yet?
1: I thought it was a second language, like Spanish, possibly Japanese. But what I'm realizing is, I think it's an instrument. And an instrument is like my something that haunts me and I've like taken guitar lessons and, and never like broke through, you know, to where I could actually play a song. I kind of like did a lot of kind of half starts. So I would say it would be, it would be guitar or piano.
0: Piano is amazing. It's tough as you get older to do piano. I, that's why we have to make sure I have a four year old and you have a two year old. We want to make sure that uh, we get them doing piano early because yes. it is the basis for all music for sure. So um, let's make that commitment to each other. All right, let's hit the last part, which is the rapid fire round. Answer as quickly or as slowly as you would like. It's basically a first thing that comes to mind round. What would your friends say is one of your superpowers?
1: Someone called me the visionary whisperer recently. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. What's one of the things you're afraid of right now? The heights freak me out. I have this Mm. total irrational fear. If I like sleep in a hotel room that's you know like more than ten stories high, I have to like like do some mindfulness exercises before I go to bed because I have this like bizarre fear that I'm gonna sleepwalk over the over the uh, ledge.
0: Isn't it crazy how we all have these fears? I could care less if I was a million a million miles in the sky, but I'm claustrophobic. um, Like. Like I'm like can't get into an elevator, claustrophobic. It's like where does this come from? It's crazy. Yeah. What keeps you up at
1: night? What wakes me up in the middle of the night is like my brain's just churning on ideas and like the future. What keeps me up at night is like wanting so bad for my my daughter to have just this this extraordinary life and and to not spoil her to give her enough challenge. But to be right there for and like, like what keeps me up at night is like, how can I be the absolute best father I can be that's it, not in the it's not like a stressing me at night, but it's just like my mind it just won't stop on that.
0: I love that. Uh, That is is so good. I'll tell you something funny. I heard Adam Carolla say on the podcast the other day, he said, I I shoot for about a B B plus as a dad. (laughs) I said, why? He said, I just don't want to shoot for the A plus. The expectation is too high. If I shoot for a B plus, then I never feel like I'm failing because I'm only shooting for B (laughs) plus and she'll be happy with me. I'll be happy with her. And it's, it's good. I don't know why, but that gave me such solace where I didn't have to be perfect. Mm. And I was like, look, I'm only shooting for a B plus. (laughs) We're gonna be good. What book have you
1: reread the most? Principles by Ray Dalio. That's one I like I just use it and reference it and and like re pick it up. You know, I don't read it cover to cover every time. And then four hour work week, I guess there's still so many golden nuggets in that book i know he's that
0: guy comes up every single show i'm so sick of him (laughs) he's he's freaking amazing i love him love him love him love him ray dalio's book is really a fascinating book and his his uh his culture at bridgewater is interesting they have a very very high churn rate because they're so honest with each other that if like um i had a uh a friend told me they were in a, a meeting uh with uh, one of the new hires and uh Ray Dalio was there and as the as the new hire is speaking he screams out bullshit and um <laughs> the like the person like looks at like you know like has deer in the headlights and like that's the culture there like wow. if there if you're saying anything that you know, just seems like a lie or doesn't seem, whatever. Like, they, like people don't make it past the first 90 days. Like 80% of them are gone. But the ones who make it are perfect matches for their culture. So I thought you'd enjoy
1: that. Interesting. Yeah, because he talks about like their culture of like radical transparency in the meritocracy. But yeah, he, he doesn't give that type of example in the book. So like, he, I picture Ray as this like, wise old sage you know is like like a quiet so to picture him like doing that it's yeah it's that uh it's a little bit different uh visual than i have of him
0: yeah no he's not so he's he's definitely wise but he's not so quiet when he needs to be and he's probably is when he needs to be you know yeah what is your guilty pleasure
1: <sighs> raspberry cream cheese croissants from Whole Foods, <laughs> it's like, and then and yeah. then there's this like local chocolate, uh, chocolate milk, or this local dairy, and they make this thick chocolate milk, and it's like, oh.
0: What's the one thing that you should throw out, but you probably never will?
1: I'm assuming these are intentionally like broad, you know, so I can go anywhere with this, huh? Yeah, it's just first thing that comes to your mind. <laughs> yeah, uh, honestly, I think I'm like a book junkie, and like. I I just like buy books and keep buying them. And I think part of what's like kind of fueling that is, is a a limiting belief that I'm still like, you know, wrestling with. It's like, I don't know enough, you know? And I just, I like a, I'm a book junkie. And so uh, I keep buying books and I keep telling myself, I'm like, I'm just going to like reread the the class, like the best of the best stuff that I've already, you know, bought and that's, that's, been so valuable, but I haven't read it in five years. And uh, and I don't. <laughs> and I like keep like reading reading more and more stuff. And so I probably will never like stop buying books. And and my, my specifically books on business. It's just like it's a, it's a, I'm a junkie.
0: It's an addiction. Okay, last question. And this is a little bit of a departure from the previous questions. We're going to change things up a little bit. What one question would you like to ask me?
1: Yeah. From your experience interviewing entrepreneurs, what is the best response or 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 advice or wisdom that you've like picked up through through curating all these like entrepreneurs and, and kind of the highlights of all of their experiences?
0: can't answer it because it it's contextual, it just depends upon what's going on in my life. Do you know what I mean like mm. for example, I found what you said today about being in the present moment as life changing for me because I struggle with that. that is not easy for me to do i mean i i you know I do it all right i i i uh, I do the journaling in the morning, I follow it by meditation, I do another twenty minutes of reading um I do the best that I can to be in the moment and I am constantly interrupting my pattern and not being in the moment. I find myself drifting, drifting off when I'm with my wife. I find myself detached when I'm with my daughter and, you know, I just got to get myself back. And somehow in my brain, it's, you know, I've got this, you know, if I, I'm, I'm, I'm working on, you know, I don't know if it's like I'm trying to conquer Poland here or something, but I just mm. have this, you know, brain that is constantly trying to come up with what's next. So to answer your question, um, it's really contextual about what the person says in the interview that's specific to either me or something that I know that my listeners hear over and over again. And sometimes they're just random things like Mm -hmm. random things. Like another one I did, uh, just before you, the, uh, the guy said, uh, You are not your successes. Your life is so much more Mm. than the goals that you've accomplished. And that's so true. I mean, it's like, you know, I look at this and go, you know, look at this guy. He's got a, he made, he made a hundred million dollars. Who am I? Like, I've never done anything like this. You know, he's created a company that, you know, is a hundred million dollar company. You're like, how did he do this? And so I battle, you know, I battle that, uh, I don't know what the word is. I don't want it. imposter syndrome or um, uh, lack of belief in myself when I hear things like that. So mm-hmm. long answer to it, but that's how I would answer it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's, that's brilliant. It's beautiful. You know what, man? You are everything that I was promised. I feel like I, uh, I don't have to return this. You, uh, you really delivered. You did an amazing job today, and I'm super grateful. Do you have any final words, suggestions, or an ask for the people that are listening?
1: I would just say like my biggest ask for people listening is like if you're at all interested in this like topic of living in what is like not in the future attachment in the future of what may come or you know spun up about something in the past like dig in <laughs> Like stay in it. Like if it at all like piques your curiosity, or you're like, "What? Well, I've done it, or I don't know what he's talking about, or I don't really care." Like I would, my ask is that you just like dig into that a little bit, because I think what I've experienced is is just like the more I've dug in, the more I've kind of become aware of like like this short 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 story. My life has been on autopilot in so many ways, and I didn't even know that it was on autopilot. And it's like there's these things running me. And I wasn't running them, they were running me. And it was like this, this thing of don't look bad or, or look good was like running me. And I was asleep to it in the same way I was driving home from work one day, you know, like going down my same like work path, you know, to the roundabout and down to the stoplight and all this. And it's the same path I do every day. And, and I remember having the thought like I'm, I'm pulling out of the parking lot, driving home. And I remember having the thought, I need to, I mean, it's going to be like a quick turnaround when I get home. I need to, ch- like, I'll have to change my shoes. So I'm going to take off my shoes. And um, I, need to, I need to talk to someone at work about a thing. So I, I picked up the phone and, you know, called someone and five minutes, I go to the roundabout and I turn and I get to the stoplight and I look up and, and I'm stopped and I look over to the, my driver's seat. And my shoes are sitting there on my driver's seat. And I just have this like, it's like smacked me in the face. And I was like, how did, like, I'm not wearing shoes. How did that happen? And they're sitting next to me. And obviously I took off my shoes, you know, like while I was driving. But I remember it just like, you know, and and I think a lot of us experience where you're driving and you look up and you're like, whoa, I don't even realize I've been like, how did I go the last five miles on the interstate? You know, like... (laughs) How did I get here? And I had that with like driving, plus like taking my shoes off, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is what I've been like in life. I've just been like running. This, this don't look bad or look good has been like running me, and I've just kind of been operating with it." So my ask is, if this that like it has been so transformative in my own personal experience of life and in my experience in others in a relationship with me, their experience of me that like my ask is if it is at all like piques your curiosity, like, like take a step further and like dig in and and, like do some work around this topic.
0: I love it. I love everything that you stand for. You really are walking the walk and you're living a beautiful life. And your daughter is very, very lucky to have a dad who's so introspective. You know, I've got a lot of years on you. I'm 52 years old. And I wish that I had the wisdom that you have. um, And frankly, the money that you have. <laughs> 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 At this stage of life. So, dude, it is absolutely a pleasure. Hopefully, we'll uh, we'll get a chance to, uh, to meet each other in real life. Um, but thank you so much for taking the time.
1: Thanks, Rob. It's been an absolute pleasure hanging out with you. All right.
0: Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game...